You're listening to Halford and Bruff. No, just stop. Get some help. Obviously surprised. Um, you know, didn't see it coming. The lot of take the test determined. That was a lot. What a beautiful stretch. Here's Good morning, Vancouver 601 on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. It is Halford and his bruff. Record scratch. It's not actually bruff. We are coming to you live from the Kintec Studios in beautiful Fairview, Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. It's Jamie Dodd. In attendance today, filling in for Jason Bruff on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Jamie. What's up, man? How's it going? Uh, I am well. My headphones are not working appropriately, but that's fine. I'll battle that's through because right. I'm a warrior. Uh, yeah, I'm excited to be working with you for the next three days. Yes. I don't usually do the guest host thing. I'm a bit of an iconoclast. That's what they call me. That's what they say. But that's, I'm, what, that's what everyone says around the station. They call you lots of other things. That too. iconoclast, yeah. Mike Halford. <laughs> right. That's one also, of the more polite things they say. A, also, a gigantic jag off. Yeah, no. Um, <laughs> we're going to be doing this for the next three days, so I'm very excited to have you in the co hosting chair along with me. But we have a lot to get to on the show today. Before we do any of it, need to say good morning to A Dog. A Dog, good morning to you. Good morning. And Laddie, good morning to you as well. Hello, hello. Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience a Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer. Uh, today, we are in our one of the program. Hour one is brought to you by everythingfinancial.com. Financial freedom awaits. Book your introductory meeting today. Visit them online, won't you, at everythingfinancial.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at kintech.net. Okay, what's happening on the program? You may want to know at 6.30, Greg Wyshynski from ESPN is going to join us, our NHL insider. A lot of focus on the Edmonton Oilers. Of course, yesterday, first game under new head coach Chris Knobloch, a 4-1 win over Bo Horvat and the Islanders, who will be here on Wednesday to take on the Vancouver Canucks. We'll talk to Wish about all that at 6.30. 7 o'clock, uh, second-time guest on the program, J.P. Acosta from SB Nation's NFL coverage. Uh, we will discuss what turned into a moderately entertaining and interesting Monday night football game between the Buffalo Bills and the Denver Broncos. In case you missed it, don't look now. Russell Wilson and the Denver Broncos have won three straight games. Also, don't look and look very far away if you're a Buffalo Bills fan. They lost again. They dropped to 5-5. Five and five. So, J.P. Acosta is going to join us at 7 o'clock for that. 7.30. How many times have we had Spec on the show in the last, I don't know, two weeks? Collectively on the station. He's a part owner at this He's point. He's more or less like a guest host at this point. I think. Yeah. So, and once again, we got him back. He has to say yes. He works for Sportsnet. So, Spec's going to join us at 7.30 to talk about everything that's gone on in Edmonton. The narrative now in Edmonton isn't just that the coaching change happened, but it's that Connor McDavid yeah. is pulling all the strings from behind the scenes, and Connor McDavid does not care for that character assassination that he's getting, even though he assassinated maybe his own head coach. <laughs> well, I, I can get where McDavid's coming from, though. I would be ticked off. If, if it wasn't, if he's actually not pulling the strings, right, and everyone's like, like who knows, maybe he didn't like his junior coach. So <laughs> Maybe the, he's like, oh, this guy again? The wrinkle to all of it, I think, is that whether or not he orchestrated these moves, the optics around it yeah, oh, are yeah. bad. So if at the very least, if he's not happy about the moves that were made, then he's got to be even more upset 
about whoever orchestrated them. And then he would be like, did you not see this coming? Like, everyone's going to blame me for this. Like, what are you doing? Ken Holland, Jeff Jackson, who, by the way, is his former agent. Not that that has anything to do with this. So 7.30, Speck's going to join us to talk about all that from Edmonton. 8 o'clock, uh, Brendan Batchelor, the play-by-play voice of the Vancouver Canucks. We are now one day away, one more sleep away from Boa Horvat mania, however you want to classify it. Did you say Boapalooza? No. no I'm, see, I'm not going to go there. We discussed this yesterday. What is going to be the appropriate response for Bo Horvat? We'll talk about that with Batch at 8 o'clock. So working in reverse, uh, 8 o'clock, it's Brendan Bachelor. 7.30, Mark Spector. 7 o'clock, J.P. Acosta. 6.30, Greg Wyshynski. It's a loaded show. We have a lot to get into. So without further ado, Laddie, let's tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. Oh, what happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? Missed that? You missed that? What Happened is brought to you by the BC Construction Safety Alliance, making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training. Visit them online at bccsa.ca. We will begin, Jamie, with news out of Vancouver Canuck land. Jack Stadnika, for the second time this year, which is impressive because the season is only about seven weeks old, uh, has been placed on waivers yet again. This does mark, as I mentioned, the second time that Studnik has been placed on waivers for the purpose of getting him down to AHL Abbotsford. Has not been a regular contributor to the team over the last five games. He's been a healthy scratch. What this means is presumably someone on their way up to replace the injured Carson. Yeah. And we'll see. We haven't got an update on Carson Susie's status yet. So it's, it's possible that he's good to go for the game on Wednesday. We'll wait and see. And maybe this is just a, a desire to have a little bit of extra cover just in case, but certainly you look, you know, because they only have, uh, if Susie's injured, they only have the six healthy defensemen on the roster. And then they're, they're all, be missing a left shot defenseman, right? So you look at Abbotsford. My guess, and this is purely a guess, would be that I love guesses. Christian Willannon would be the guy coming up. Okay. Left shot defenseman uh, among the, le- the the team leaders in scoring in Abbotsford. And I know, you know, Akita Hirose started the season in Vancouver. A lot of people are very excited about him. He's just, this is a win now team though, right? Like they're not going to give it to Hirose, I don't think, just because he's younger and has more upside. I think they're going to bring up the guy who can help them right away mm-hmm. based on their AHL performance. I think that's Christian Willannon, but we'll see where, where it goes. Hey dog, would you like a rebuttal here? You're the biggest Akito <laughs> Hirose fan I know. I mean, I've just been resigned to the fact that it's, it's probably, not gonna be him. probably not going to happen <laughs> this year and there we go. I'll move on um, somehow. Yeah, so there is an interesting jumping off point. All due respect to Jack Studnika and Christian Willannon, uh, bit players, replacement level guys at this stage of the game. What we're talking about really is how concerned people should be about the Canucks defensive depth. Susie is just sort of a a blueprint, a paradigm, an example of what could go wrong this season for a thin blue line, right? I think everyone understands this, and we've talked about it a lot on the show, is that having watched the league for long enough and knowing how these things work, injuries might, like, it's not a might or a maybe, it's a will. They're going to happen, probably more likely on defense, just because of the nature of the position. A position that the Canucks, one, aren't, adequately staffed with when healthy, I would say, to be an elite team in the NHL. When the injuries start to hit, do they have the depth? How big a concern should it be that they're going already to the likes of maybe a Christian Willannon or an Akito Hirose? I think it's definitely something that 
you would like to see addressed because you think about it. Okay. They, you know, the Mark Friedman, Ian Cole pairing that was successful. That was playing well, but then Friedman's minutes dropped off. And then he actually comes out of the lineup for the game against Montreal. Noah Juleson comes in and that's kind of what happens with these depth guys or call up guys. You might get a run of five, six games where it looks really good, but can you really depend on that for, you know, two months, three months in a season? And I think if Susie does come out of the lineup, right, then all of a sudden you're in a situation where you probably have, you know, one of Friedman or Juleson and maybe will land in there as well. And all of a sudden, you know, Myers bumps up and he's your fourth defenseman now. And he's been playing really well, partly because he's been appropriately slotted as a, a, a five, six defenseman. And you just, the, the seams start to show a little bit more in a hurry, I think. And, you know, it's one thing again to have, okay, Mark Friedman, we're going to put him with Ian Cole. We're going to manage how we use him. We're going to get good minutes. It becomes so much harder to manage around those limitations when you have multiple guys like that in yeah. the lineup. That's the concern. Like again, we've we talked about it multiple times, but one of the tenets and staples that we always come back to is it's not always necessarily the guys that have to jump into the lineup that are the ones that struggle. Yeah. It's the guys that suddenly have to take on a bigger responsibility that are there and have kind of gotten into a groove or a niche. And now all of a sudden it's can you play extra minutes? Can you start uh, being a contributor mm-hmm. on special teams is quite frankly, some guys are like, no, I'm not good. At th- I'm not good at those things. Don't make me do them. And I think that's going to be really interesting to watch because you mentioned it's not even necessarily about who comes up from the A. It's can Cole, can Myers, can other yeah. guys step up and do more things. All this said, Susie might play on Wednesday. Yeah, we, we don't had, know. We have had absolutely no updates. It was a holiday yesterday. Everybody took the day off. Uh, the team will get back to its regularly scheduled programming today. And then, of course, tomorrow... Tomorrow is Boa Palooza. I'm still trying to workshop a proper name for this. No, one. let's let's go with that. You like Boa Palooza? I'm using that for social media now, so we got it. <laughs> right, that's, that's it. That's what we're it locked makes it official. in. We're yeah. locked in. Yeah, you can't change it now. Yeah, you can't delete anything off of X. Nope. Everything stays as it's is there forever. So. Yeah, so we'll be talking a lot about that throughout the show. Of course, tomorrow I think we'll probably dedicate almost three full oh, yeah. live hours of coverage in the morning to the Bo Horvat return. But I do want to move on to a couple things that happened last night uh, in and around the world of sports as we blast through what happened here uh, in Edmonton. Big day for the Oilers, big night for the Oilers and their new head coach, Chris Knobloch. The Edmonton Oilers won their first game under Knobloch 4-1 against the Islanders at Rogers Place on Monday. What a great coaching debut. He was able to unlock this team by saying, Connor McDavid, go score. And then Leon Dreisaitl, also go score. Both guys did. Because remember, prior to this game, McDavid was goalless in eight and uh, Dreisaitl had one in ten. So good on Knobloch for unlocking the secret to the Oilers, which is get your best players to play well. He also told the goalie to make a save. That was important. So that was big. I, I don't know why Woodcroft didn't think of that, but he was like, hey, Stuart Skinner, go, don't, don't let in a bunch of weak goals. <laughs> Knobloch, go was, Knobloch was doing the tapping his temple <laughs> thing. I, like, I, eh. I tweeted yesterday that like, this job's easy. Woodcroft you got was it, looking Stuart. at the box score just seething angry. Like, 30 plus saves. Where was that when I was there? 32 saves for Stuart Skinner in the win. Uh, you know what? I'm not usually a sentimental, emotional person, but there was a nice clip yesterday from Chris Knobloch talking about what the team did for him, both pre and post game. His first win as the head coach of the Edmonton Oilers. Here now is the audio. Chris Knobloch following a 4-1 win over Bo, Bo Horvat and the Islanders. Did you get the game puck? Uh, where is it going and what does it mean for you to, to be able to, to get this first NHL win? Um... I did get the game puck. Um, it felt incredible. It's going to be a souvenir. Um, I had a game puck um, on my desk before the game started, and I was like, oh, I've only got one. I've got two kids. 
And then we won, I got two, so now we can make everyone happy and uh, maybe I won't have to tell them which one's the game puck and one's the, the souvenir puck. Um, and then after the game, they did something really special. They had on the uh, video on the TV, um, they presented the puck and um, yeah, they had my wife on the uh, TV just saying a few words and you know that was that was very nice of them to do. And now to ruin that very nice moment, we need to discuss Connor McDavid's sabotage in getting a new head coach in the door and, of course, already having his former agent in the general manager's booth. So we'll talk to Speck about this a little Mm -hmm. bit more at 7.30. But there is a narrative right now, and it kind of works in on two levels. One is that everyone, and I'm jokingly talking about the saboteur that is Connor McDavid, but everybody talking about McDavid now pulling the strings in Edmonton. Is this like Messier and Keenan? All over again? Speck had that in his piece. Oh, did he? Okay, yeah, yeah, he that's had, the first he, thing I thought of. He alluded to, was this going to be exactly like Mark Messier back in Vancouver that's 25 hilarious. years ago or wherever it was? So, right now, the optics of it are, mm-hmm. they have a new president of Hockey Ops who looks as though he's ready to take over from Ken Holland as general manager. That guy is Jeff Jackson. That's Connor McDavid's former agent. They now have a new head coach in the mix. That guy is Chris Knobloch. That guy is Connor McDavid's former coach. So optically, it certainly looks as though he may have had some input. Now, Speck in his column said, that's not the case. That's not true. None of the players, McDavid included, had any idea this was coming. McDavid also got a little punchy with the media. Do you want to... Do, do you have it at the ready? I do have it Oh, at that's the ready. fantastic. Because he was asked about this several times, and he did push back uh, quite sternly about what he sees as the perception and what's the reality. I woke up to a text like probably a lot of you guys did as well. Um, you know, uh, I know the narrative out there, obviously, um, you know, but it couldn't be further from the truth. Yeah. So someone just texted in unsigned. So it's from Gary Dunbar Lumber text line is 650 McDavid is now the LeBron James of the NHL. See, he hates this. McDavid, that is. Yeah. LeBron has no idea who's McDavid is, so he doesn't care. But um, this is. It's such an interesting dynamic because, and we'll talk again, we'll talk to Speck about this at 7.30, but it sounds as though McDavid wants to be treated as just like any other mm-hmm, guy, mm-hmm. just one of the boys. And I almost think that's more naive than anything because there's no way that's ever going to happen. Well, and the LeBron comparison is interesting because I think it's much more open when LeBron is playing general manager, right? Which he has done at many points in his career, whether it's choosing a coach or making it clear that he wants a coach fired, you know, trades for teammates, whatever. I think LeBron is a lot more upfront about it than McDavid, you know, whether or not he was involved is being right now. I think the thing is I can, I can buy that, you know, McDavid wasn't tipped off that he didn't ask for Woodcroft to be fired. He wasn't consulted about Knobloch. I can buy all of that. But the thing is when it's your former agent making the decision, you had to when he was your agent, I guarantee you they had plenty of discussions about Jay Woodcroft and Chris Knobloch. So you didn't need to be consulted in the moment for yep. Jeff Jackson to be taking your thoughts into consideration. And again, I think that dynamic could be frustrating for Connor McDavid. Yeah, because it's like, well, yeah, what do you of course I talk to my agent yep. about my coach and coach's past. Like he's my agent. That's what I do. That's what he's there and for. now it's like that's almost being used against him for a decision he might not have uh, been involved in. I also think if you're the Oilers, and you are, okay, we're going to bring in Chris Knobloch. Like if part of the thought process was we're going to bring in Chris Knobloch because we're worried about McDavid sticking around down the line and we really want to cater to him, you better hope, one, that they have a great relationship, and two, that Chris Knobloch is going to help them win games. Yeah. Because I don't think I don't think bringing in 
McDavid's former junior coach is going to get him to stick around if you miss the playoffs the next couple of seasons. I, I don't think that's getting it done. I thought the analysis in the immediate aftermath was very interesting because it seemed as though a lot of people were taken uh, off guard by what happened, by what the hire was, why they went in this direction. I also think that everyone quietly acknowledged and now probably a little bit louder the fact that Chris Knobloch's never done this before. He's yeah. never been, he was an NHL head coach for a handful of days back with the Rangers when David Quinn went in COVID-19 protocol. That's all that he's had experience-wise. And you're saying, well, wait a minute. Generally speaking, there's some bumps in the road for a new head coach as he tries to learn and figure it out and gain that experience that all these other guys have. Are the Oilers in a position to have a guy learn on the yeah. job? Because I don't know if you're aware of this or not in listener land, they are near dead last in the NHL. Like they need a guy that's going to come in and turn it around in a hurry, not a guy that might need a couple weeks to figure out the lay of the land. Now we'll say this. It's off to a great start. They took care of Horvat and the Islanders yesterday. Um, not necessarily with ease, but it was a 4-1 victory. And a lot of positives in game one for the guy. McDavid gets back on the sheet. Dreisaitl has a huge night. He had a goal and three assists. And I think most importantly, and you alluded to it as well, Laddie, like Stuart Skinner had 32 saves. Yeah. Right? That's a big thing for them moving forward because he's going to be carrying the load. He'll be carrying the mail. And it's going to be on him to try and see this thing so that they can get back into playoff contention. And he's their best and easiest way out of this jam is if they just figure out what Stuart Skinner's all about, make him get right back on track, and that's... Easier than going out and acquiring somebody. So the other game in the NHL last night, because it was Hockey Hall of Fame night, it was a late night on the schedule, but the Colorado Avalanche absolutely bombed the Seattle Kraken 5-1 at Climate Pledge Arena, not Climate Change Arena, as I have often called it. They don't name arenas after climate change. Yeah. <laughs> Climate Pledge Arena. I think they should rename it again to Climate Change Arena. Though. I've also called just it to Lem- make it easier for I've you. I've also called it Lemon Pledge Arena, yeah. which is another no, one as well. No, climate no climate change pledge. really stepped up and uh, paid paid a big price to get the naming rights. Uh, yeah. Like we, you know what? We need to improve our. Yeah, we have renamed it Climate brand. Change Arena because yeah. building this arena caused climate change. People have a negative view of climate change. We're you know we're going to spend some money to try yeah. to change it. Us? Do we look bad pledge. publicly? There it is too. Good. We're just going to get everyone just lean into climate change and make it the most pollutable arena on earth. Just like. Smokestacks coming out the top. Still using <laughs> coal power. Yeah. So many styrofoam cups. Yeah. Non-biodegradable. Okay, focus. Focus. Uh, Miko Randon and Kale McCarr, a goal each. The only reason I'm really mentioning this game, uh, and Jamie, this is another thing that we've done quite a bit here, is hyper-focus on the teams that were in the playoffs yep. last year that are slowly edging their way out. So right now, Seattle is firmly, firmly in that conversation. Uh, they are 5-8-3. and three. They have lost four of their last five games. They have gotten off to a lousy start this season. It's been a weird mix of every time that the defense and goaltending plays well, they can't get the scoring. And then when they do manage to find the back of the net, the goaltending tends to let them down. Right now, Minnesota, Seattle, and Edmonton, three playoff teams from a year ago, are looking at they're going to be in tough shape as the season goes along, as we get closer and closer to that magical uh, American Thanksgiving day when you really start to see who's going to be a playoff team or who's not. For the Vancouver Canucks, amazing development. Like, we've talked about the start from the Canucks perspective, Mm -hmm. but I think we need collectively throughout the station need to start looking and hyper-focusing more on all these other teams that are falling way short of expectations. And here's another one for you. The Western Conference is terrible at hockey. Go look at the bottom of the NHL standings. 
Nine teams at the bottom. Seven of them are Western Conference teams. There are a lot of really bad teams. So not only do you have teams falling out of playoff position, you've also got teams where you're at the buffet and you're, let's eat, right? Let's get points off these guys. Let's take advantage of them early. I mean, God, the Canucks have already dominated the season series against Edmonton. It's been a huge part to the start. So I am... Seattle's going to be probably one that's going to hang around the fringes. Minnesota's a train wreck, too. We're going to talk to Wyshynski about that in a bit. I expect Edmonton to vault back. I just don't know how much. But I think it's a really interesting development. There's all these teams that are kind of hovering around non-playoff contention. Well, and coming into the season, I would have looked in the Canucks division at Seattle and Calgary as the two teams. Okay, you have finish ahead of them, and you have a very good chance of making the playoffs. They're kind of your peer teams. They're already 10 points up on Seattle, and Seattle's played an extra game, and they're 13 points up on the Calgary Flames. And, you know, to your point about the West conference just look at the teams in the wild card race and through the bottom of the standings in the west <laughs> it's hilarious anaheim man. st louis arizona seattle minnesota chicago nashville calgary edmonton san jose yeah like are you scared of any of those teams like ooh, that you know that team when they get rolling don't worry they're going to be they're going to be really good they have a chance to make up ground like none of those teams strike fear into me as somebody who wants to see the Canucks make the playoffs. And like four of those teams would have to jump over them. Edmonton's the only team that I think has the capabilities yep. of turning it on and going from being one of the worst teams in the NHL to one of the best. Outside of that, it's all about trying to get a cushion and trying to pad yep. whatever lead that the Canucks have right now, especially on the Minnesotas and the Seattles of the world. I mean, Minnesota's been a perennial lock for the playoffs over the last decade. I think it's nine of the last ten years that they've been in. So you're almost, you kind of count them as being one of those punch-your-ticket teams. If they can fall off that's great you mentioned calgary and nashville in there as well don't forget those were the first two teams right outside of the playoffs last year so they were in the thick right up until the very end and they're off to bad starts as well so it's uh it's interesting times i'm very curious to see how things will play out over the next two weeks because again once we get to that american thanksgiving mark that's when things really start to get uh more drama filled and that's when you start to see moves being made around the nhl as well so i want to go one final thing before we go to break and turn it over greg wyshynski I do want to talk about Monday Night Football last night. Laddie, do we have the audio ready here? It's a longer clip, but it kind of has to be because we have to listen to not one, but two Will Lutz field goal attempts. The first, a miss, but the second, redemption time for Lutz. It's good after the Buffalo Bills had too many men on the field for the first attempt. It was a 24-22 to win after Lutz hits for the Broncos. I want to play this out because... As weird as it sounds on audio, that's what it looked like on television last night at the end of the game in a gut punch loss loss uh, for the Buffalo Bills. Here now, the game-winning field goal sequence. It takes a little while. Bear with us, please. 41-yard drive for the win. Lutz. He missed it. But the flag is down. <laughs> Twelve men on defense. Five-yard penalty. Wow. Go fourth down. So with that quick change, the Broncos were ready, and the Bills had 12 men on defense. And we'll count them up. Uh, We're going to cover up the people. I don't even know where we're at. I don't know. They said it's 12. 12. You got it. There's the 12 There's 12. Back there in the back, Terrell Bernard. So there were 12 men out there for the Buffalo Bills. And this will move the ball inside the 20, and it becomes a 36-yard game-winning field goal attempt by Will Lutz. 
There's nothing guaranteed. Good snap, good hold. Kick, perfect. And that was the end of the Buffalo Bills season. Well, not quite, but it very well could be. It drops into 5-5 five and five on the year. And I almost wanted to make it about the Denver Broncos a little bit because after that loss, the 70-20 to 20 loss in oh, Miami, yeah. they've won three straight and four of six since then. And you've got to look at them and say, hey, good on you. You've kind of salvaged your season. You've gotten back into the fringes of AFC playoff contention. But the real story here has got to be Buffalo, like snatching defeat from the jaws of victory somehow, somehow screwing up what was a gifted victory on a 41-yard mm-hmm. field goal, which is basically a chippy in the modern NFL. And now all of a sudden you look at them, they're 5-5. Five and five. Josh Allen leads the, interse- uh, he leads the NFL in interceptions and turnovers because he fumbles the ball a lot too. Uh, is the Bills' Super Bowl window closed? And that's a scary proposition for that franchise because I will remind you, they've never won a Super Bowl. Yeah, not great. I, I also say I, I love uh, Joe Buck congratulating Troy Aikman on counting to 12. Yep. And that, hey, you got it. I think he patted him like on the back. Like he's a kid learning how to count. <laughs> hey, good for you, buddy. Yeah, you did he, it. He right, tussled his hair. <laughs> it was nice. Okay, we got a lot more to get into on the program here. Halford and Bruff Show featuring Jamie Dodd in the morning. Uh, Greg Wyshynski is going to join us next from ESPN. We'll go around the NHL with him, talk about the Canucks and talk about the Oilers, talk about Bo Horvat and the New York Islanders. That's all coming up next on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. The most comprehensive Canucks coverage in the city. Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Good news, everybody. My headset works again. Things are normal yet again. Ah, We did it. Sweet, sweet relief. The bad news is now we get to hear you speak and talk. You could always hear me speak. It was my headset. That's true, actually. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Problem now is... I didn't think of it that way. Yeah. I don't think you understand what a headset does, unfortunately. It's the one you speak into, right? (laughs) You're listening to the Alfred and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Only there's no Bruff. Jamie Dodd is in for the next three days here on the Alfred and Bruff Show as we walk you through up to leading into and past Bo Horvat Day, which is tomorrow. I uh, got a lot to get into here. Greg Wyshynski from ESPN is going to join us in just a moment here. Uh, the highlight of hour one, really. Uh, hour one of this program is brought to you by everythingfinancial.com. Financial freedom awaits. Book your introductory meeting today. Visit them online at everythingfinancial.com. Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Let's go to the phone lines now. Joining us as he does every week on this show, Greg Wyshynski from ESPN here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet six. 50. What up, Wish? Greetings from the center of the hockey universe, Toronto, <laughs> Ontario, Canada, where today the general managers will meet to discuss things. <laughs> so you, I'm assuming you were there because of the Hockey Hall of Fame induction ceremonies, correct? Actually, no. Oh. <laughs> I wasn't. No, Kristen Shilton from our, our, uh, our group covered it last night. I was actually uh, I had a busy day yesterday. I was uh, visiting some in-laws in Chicago. And then uh, flew back Monday morning, went home, did the drop, my podcast with Arda, mm-hmm. and then like turned around and went right back to the airport and flew to Toronto for these GM meetings today. So it's a, the, the glamorous life of the hockey writer 
Uh, although I did have access to the Delta Lounge, uh, which meant uh, tiny sandwiches <laughs> and free domestic beer uh, before wow. my flight. Well, yeah. what you should have done is rerouted to Edmonton because that is now the epicenter of the hockey world. What was your reaction upon hearing that the Oilers had fired Jay Woodcroft and replaced him with Chris Knobloch? So the first reaction was that I felt bad for Woodcroft because, as, as others have pointed out, like the underlying numbers were pointing to them doing mm. some pretty good things this year. You know, They were first in expected goals uh, at 5-on-5. Five five. Their, their defensive metrics were pretty good. They they were just making calamitous mistakes at the wrong time, and then every single mistake they made would end up in the back of the net because their goaltending stunk. That being said, I mean, it was clearly time for a vibe shift. Uh, I think anybody who watched that San Jose game could see that these guys had hit, hit the nadir of their season. Uh, they probably needed another, another voice behind the bench besides his. So I felt bad for him because I thought he did all right, but I understand why it had to happen. Now, the other reaction was, how unbelievably hilarious it is that Connor McDavid is running the Oilers now. <laughs> just like, I mean, you, the, the, we, I think we all had the same reaction, which is that we saw, uh, you know, the coach's name, and they were like, "Oh, I remember that guy. He coaches the Hartford Wolfpack for the Rangers, and he's been, you know, up for other jobs." And then we like Googled around, and we're like, "Wait a second, Coach Connor McDavid in Erie, McDavid's agent is now the CEO of the Oilers." It started to piece the, the you know the, the pictures and the strings together on the wall, but that's not even the funniest part. The funniest part is that they put Paul Coffey, who has as much NHL coaching experience as me, on the bench because he's the advisor to Daryl Cates and is going to be like a narc uh, on the bench trying to get you know let let these guys know that there's a direct line to the owner watching them at all times. Uh, but you know what? At the end of the day, it probably works and they make the playoffs. So what like? What would the case for Chris Knobloch be if he didn't have any prior relationship to Connor McDavid? Because as you said, he's been up for other jobs. It was just so striking in this case. And I think it's also not typically what you necessarily see a team that starts slow out of the gate do, right? Oftentimes you go to a more experienced head coach in that uh, in that situation. So like, is there a case for Knobloch being the right guy You know, if he hadn't coached Connor McDavid in junior? So the case for Knobloch is that he, he has two things that the Oilers could, could really use right now. One is uh, his, his uh, forte has long been special teams. Uh, their special teams, especially their power play, inexplicably struggling off the hop this season. So the idea that he can come in, tweak a few things, get that, those units rolling, I think is, is, is plausible. And, and, I mean, I'm not going to say it's his presence, but already last night we saw the power play really assert itself in that win against the Islanders. The second thing is that, and this is the thing that, that Jeff Jackson, Connor's agent turned team president said uh, a few years ago is that he's got a real knack for player to player, to player communication, like coach to player communication. Like he has a, he's, he's the kind of guy that goes into a new gig and really kind of digs deep to find out who these guys are and the best way to communicate with them. Not in a creepy Babcock way, but like in a cool I'm going to try to maximize your abilities to the best that, that I can and put you in situations where you can thrive. And, and so, you know, that kind of coach coming in, maybe, uh, you know, somebody who's not going to, you know, necessarily uh, reinvent the wheel from a scheme standpoint, but just somebody who can come in, communicate with guys, hold them accountable when necessary is, is totally the thing that they need because obviously Jay wasn't necessarily meeting that, that, uh, that standard. 
at this point. Um, we're going to have Spec on the show in about an hour. Mark Spector out of Sportsnet in Edmonton. He wrote a big piece yesterday about the specifically the Connor McDavid reaction. And it was, you know, McDavid's contention, and I guess Spec probably put it out there uh, more succinctly, that it's he doesn't want to be treated any differently than anybody else. He just wants to be one of the fellas and one of the guys. And he very much pushed back against the notion that he's pulling the strings. And I kind of said, like, I joke, joke, I mean, you can't be that naive, Connor, because you're the best player in the league. Obviously, you're going to be treated differently. And obviously, decisions are going to be made with you in mind. I just don't know where the line between, you know, him not having input and maybe not necessarily making the change, but, you know, suggesting that a change might not be a bad thing. Did you get any idea of where that line is or who's really calling the shots or how much well, influence McDavid has? McDavid has an influence in, in, in the sense that, like you said, they're, they're, they cater to him. You know, they, they acquire players in service of McDavid, whether that's Connor Brown or, or, or even someone like Zach Hyman, who obviously they felt was going to be, uh, a, a really great tactical addition to Connor's line when they, when they signed him. Um, here's the thing about McDavid and, and this coaching change. I think he's, he should be pissed either way, right? Cause like, like, here's the thing. If he, if he did have input and they hired the junior coach, okay, then, then that's just going to be how it is. And I don't necessarily think there's anything wrong with having your franchise player dictate the help dictate where the franchise should be headed. He's the most important player that they've had since Gretzky. Like, he should have some idea of what's going on. Now, where he should be pissed is that if this is true, and, and he kind of portrayed this yesterday, and he had no idea that his former junior hockey coach was going to be coaching his NHL team, <laughs> I would be so angry because my former agent just put me in a situation where everyone's going to think that, A, I killed Jay Woodcroft, right. and B, I hired the new coach. So, like... There's no way for him to win here because they've hired somebody he has deep ties to from his past. So I'm hoping he had some input on it because otherwise he's going all through all this nonsense for nothing. We're speaking to Greg Wyshynski from ESPN here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Greg, I do want to turn our attention to the team that the Oilers took care of last night and the team that will be coming through with the former captain, Bo Horvat, coming through Vancouver. That, of course, the New York Islanders. They've lost five in a row. If I'm not mistaken, you were tweeting on something a couple games ago where things were getting uh, quite ornery in the home rank during this five-game losing streak. Uh, it was not a good performance last night against Edmonton. The offense seems like it's really dried up if it ever wasn't dry. Uh, what is the current state? State of the New York Islanders. Yeah, when I was at the game the other uh, last week um, in uh, on Long Island, uh, <laughs> there were chants during a loss to the Minnesota Wild uh, asking for Lou Lamarillo's job. Right. I imagine those people aren't with us anymore. <laughs> but that being said, the sentiment <laughs> did exist. Now they're they're a mess right now. Like they they clearly don't really have an identity. They're not getting the same sort, sorts of, of, of consistent performances from their goaltending that they've gotten in the past. You know, Horvat and, and Barzal are, are like the only two guys that you can look at in that lineup and say, okay, there, there's a good chance they're going to create something offensively. But even that is, is inconsistent. I said before the season that there were two guys I was looking at as far as guys that could lose their job first. One was DJ Smith, and who even knows what that situation is going to look like now with the, the chaos at the top in Ottawa. And the second guy was Lane Lambert, because quite frankly, like, this Islanders team, is, it's the same roster they've had for several years now, it feels like. Lou clearly feels the team is good enough to win. Lou is also a guy that knows his way around a coach firing. I, I wouldn't be shocked if, if Lambert pays uh, with this, for this, this middling start with his job at some point if the Islanders don't really kind of kick it into gear and, and start moving up the standings. Because obviously, 
it's not going to be a construction issue because Lou built the team. So it can't be a construction issue, right? But at the same time, you look at it, and I, it always just blows my mind. You go to their Cap Friendly page, how much money and term they have committed to guys down the road. Like, I'm just looking at it. Two years after this one, they have already, like, $63 million on the cap. And, you know, for some good players, but not necessarily superstar or elite players. And at a certain point, I mean, and maybe we're seeing it play out right now. They've been able to compete. They've been able to make the playoffs. But it does feel like the bottom is going to fall out here for the Islanders at some point in the near future. Yeah, it does. And, and you guys in Vancouver should know this better than anybody, but th- that judging your team uh, in, a, in, a, in a specific way after the COVID seasons mm. w- was a mistake. Yes, right? we are and, familiar and I feel with like that. The, yeah, and I feel like the Islanders, and, and I'm as guilty as anyone in buying into it because I thought with Trot there and everything else, they were going to maybe even level up to win a cup. Like, uh, I think we were all sort of fooled by how well they played in those anomalous seasons. And, uh, and, and that goes for Lou, too, because he doubled down on almost the entire roster outside of a few guys that, like, aged out or maybe, maybe they couldn't afford anymore. So you're right. It's, it's, it kind of is inexplicable that you get these diminishing returns from that organization after those, you know, weird years. And the response was to just double down, re-sign guys. The Hornet thing obviously was, doesn't fit that mold. He, it was a bold move and a smart move by Lou to get him. Uh, but at the same time, like the rest of the roster has a bit of that stasis thing going on. And it just feels like a team that is hoping and praying that Sorokin can drag them to a playoff spot. And then maybe once they get in, they're built to, to make a little hay in the playoffs. But getting there is going to be the problem. Uh, speaking of teams that have gotten off to a middling start and might not be in the playoff picture this year, how much attention are you paying to what's going on in the struggles in Minnesota with the Wild right now? We played some of that Dean Evison audio after they allowed seven, count them, seven special teams goals against Dallas the other night. I think it was five on the power play and two shorthanded, which is actually so bad it's impressive, but not for Dean yeah. Evison. So how much attention are you paying to what's going on in Minnesota right now? Well, there's two things about the Wild. One was that they always were going to just be in the in the mushy middle of this league. They weren't going to ever level up to win a championship. Uh, but it, they're not even hitting that mark right now, which is kind of the, the shocking part. Uh, they've been able to rely on a couple things in the last few years, and, and they've all gone haywire right now. Like Caprizov's not playing well. Uh, the the defense that you could you know was was sort of a hallmark of Evans' teams, especially analytically, has obviously not necessarily come to fruition so far. Um, and so they, they're, they're scattered, they're a mess. And, and, you know, part of the problem I've had with the wild is because uh, is their cap situation, which has left them hoping that the players they have on the roster can fulfill the giant, you can fill the giant donut in that lineup at center. And Rossi's played well this year, which is good news because they're going to need him to, but I don't know. There's always been sort of something off about the way that team is constructed um, they obviously are in cap hell because of the Parise and Suter buyouts, and, and now they're just off the blocks in a really awkward way. But the good news is that the Western Conference, I think, yeah, you're going to concede the top three maybe in, in, in both divisions at the end of the day. But like for teams like the Wild and the Oilers that are off to terrible starts, it's not completely inconceivable they're going to rally for a playoff spot. I mean, in, in Edmonton's case, I mean, they're like, what now, six back yeah. of the wild card? I mean, that's not exactly, you know, worst to first St. Louis Blues January <laughs> run to the cup. Like, they can do this, and I think the same goes for the Wild. Wish, you're the best, bud. Thanks for doing this, as always. Appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of the week. We'll do this again next week. Anytime. Uh, Greg Wyshynski from ESPN here on the Halford & Bruff Show, featuring Jamie Dodd on Sportsnet 650. So, Bo Horvat makes his return to Vancouver 
tomorrow. Mm-hmm. The Islanders are in a bad way. As I mentioned, they've lost five in a row. Horvat's numbers, just basic counting stats, are fine. He's got, I think it's four goals, which yep. you'd probably like more production goal-wise, but 11 points in 13 games. He's on pace for 23 to 25 goals and 65 to 70 points. A very Bo Horvatian-like <laughs> effort, and it's what he does. Like, there's actually not been that big of a change. Again, the goal scoring is down from a year ago when he was on a tear prior to getting traded. Interesting thing. I mean, I think we got to remove what he's doing right now with the Islanders anyway, because we're going to do this chronologically. We got to go way back. And when he steps into Rogers Arena on Wednesday night, fairly or not, his legacy is going to be litigated and relitigated. And the response is going to be a direct relation to how you feel about his legacy. Where do you classify the Horvat legacy? So. Jamie? For me, and this is a, a fascinating one because somebody texted in about just you have to look at it in the context of when he joined the team, right? And I do wonder, you know, right now, I think we look back at the time that recently passed and we call it the Benning era. How much is it going to become to identify it as with Bo Horvat as well, right? And I think there's some there's some parallels there because, you know, he was drafted by Gillis, but he joins the team first year Benning uh, under the Benning regime. And then he's traded not so long uh, after Benning leaves and Rutherford and Alvin take over. But for me, what I'll think of a Bo Horvat is a really good player, but ultimately flawed, right? Sure. And he was part of some bad teams. And I don't think it's fair to look at him and say he was the problem. But I also think it's fair to look at it and say, yeah, he wasn't the problem, but he might not have been part of the solution either. I don't think that's an outrageous take to look. You know what? It was time to move on. And Too outrageous for me, Jamie. No, I, I get what you're saying, right? And uh, Greg, if I'm not mistaken, you've got a question that you would like to pose. Well, yeah, I was going to ask you guys, did Bo Horvat get traded to yeah. Vancouver of the East? Yeah. But I mean, Vancouver before this season. Is Bo Horvat yeah. essentially just traded roles to the same franchise just on the East side of the North America compared to Vancouver because I watched that game against Edmonton yesterday. Great goaltending, kind of a meh team. Horvat stands out. Like it's just, it's like he swaps spots, just different sides of the country. I think where they are in terms of their trajectory, maybe they kind of remind me of where the Canucks were the last few years, right? That's what yeah, I mean. Yeah. 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 Uh, in terms of actual roster composition, like Jamie brought up, they old, right? Like they're mm. old for the earth. They're old for the NHL. So there's a little bit of difference there. And I don't really see outside of Barzell, who's still relatively young, like those bright lights, like Dobson's there as well. Those bright lights at the end of the tunnel. It feels as though that they are an old geriatric, geriatric team. And what's more, they're locked into that. So that could be a major issue as the, well. The thing they have in common with recent vintages of the Canucks is, as I was saying to Wish, when you go to their cap friendly and you look at it and they're like, man, they have that guy signed for how long? What? Why? And the Canucks have gotten out of that now. They don't have those long-term yeah. deals on the sheet, but the, the Islanders very much do. They're the spiritual successor to the Canucks in that way. Okay. Uh, right now, it's time for the Everything Finance Report featuring Peter Shashecki. You may think getting a proper financial plan is a long, cumbersome, and difficult process, and that's why you don't have one. Well, you're wrong. It isn't. Give Peter Shashecki and his team at Everything Financial just one hour of your time, and they'll get you on the road to financial freedom with their Omni Formula Express plan. Peter joins us now on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Peter. How are you? Doing well. Good morning, and I have one question for you. Shoot. Will Horvat get cheered, or will there be a you know, sprinkling of loud boos in the crowd 
I, it's funny. I talked about this yesterday, and I don't think that he deserves the booze, but he is absolutely going to get one because I know human nature, and I know that people are just waiting to throw out, and you can have that and take that for free. They're all <laughs> sitting on the receipts on that one. So, yeah, I do think there's going to be some booze tonight or, or tomorrow night, sorry, at Rogers Arena. Uh, oh, that should be interesting. <laughs> uh, let's talk now about the investment bait and switch and why we should avoid it, Peter. Well, bait and switch is something you see in the investment world. Every time the markets become volatile or they become low, someone's bringing you in at the bank and mutual fund company promising you unicorns and rainbows, and you should go with them because they know better. And this is when it happens. It happens all the time when you see highly volatile and a long stretch of low markets, just like we have right now. How do you know if you're being a victim of the aforementioned well, bait and switch? Yeah, two two key things that you'll see. You go in, you want to talk to someone about your investments with another company because you, maybe you're not happy where you are or you've kind of been ignored or whatever. And the first thing they do is they ask for your statement. Oh. That Now, the only time you should give in a statement is is block out everything you're invested in pretty much and and just like have them talk about fees maybe show them the total you have in your tfsa or your rsp but that's the first thing they do is they're going to ask for your investments they want to we'll look at a statement and then they're going to come back and say hey look what we can do for you we you should go into this look how well it's done over the last few years and that's one of the keys Past returns are not for sale. Oh, but they'll show you past returns and they'll convince you that that's what they would have had you in two years ago before this downturn in the market started to occur. Uh, Any other tips or advice on how to avoid this type of scenario? Yeah, well, first, if they ask for your statement because they want to compare rates of return, run for the door. (laughs) Or here's a fun one you can do. And I had someone who did this because I kind of coaxed them into it. Say to them, okay. Show me, they come back and they show you, you know, here's what we would have done for you. You would have made way more money, blah, 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 blah. And then say real simple, in the next five minutes, can you show me five clients with that exact same portfolio? Just redact their names so I don't, and address so I don't know who they are because there is confidentiality. But pull up five people right now who had that who had that portfolio the last two years. And I will bet you a next season tickets. You will not find anyone who had you, who had that portfolio in the last five years. You will not find one because that's the key to the bait and switch. Promise one thing, bring them in and then give them something completely different. No different when then you're going to buy the car that's on sale. But wait a minute, they don't have any of that car on the lot, but let's buy this one with all the extra goodies in it. None of us have ever heard about that happening. (laughs) Uh, Peter, good stuff, good information as always, and thank you very much for doing this. Enjoy the game tomorrow night in Boa Palooza. It should be a lot of fun, and we'll do this again next week. You bet I will. I'll sit on my hands, and I will not boo. (laughs) Very good. Thank you, Peter. Right, Appreciate it. Have a great day. It. You too. Thanks. That's Peter Shashecki from Everything Financial. Visit Everything Financial online at everythingfinancial.com or call 1-888-424-4421 and get your complimentary introductory meeting booked today. Um, I guess as before we go to break here, we probably should address what's going to happen at Rogers Arena tomorrow night. And that is the, there's going to be some a smattering. I don't even know if it might be a smattering. It might even be larger. People are going to boo Horvat. So I think how it's going to go down is obviously there's going to be a tribute from the Canucks, tribute video, recognition, whatever. There's going to be almost unanimous applause then. 
right? Standing ovation, big show of recognition and support and appreciation for Bo Horvat during the game. And after that point, then there will be booze. There'll be booze when he touches the puck. If the Canucks are winning, there might be a, a try at some chance, but I think there'll be, there'll be both sides of it, right? They'll, they'll get the recognition and the appreciation when they do the tribute. Then after that, you're going to see, you're going to hear some booze. And that's wrong. Do you think the music will be like, I will remember you? What are the top three <laughs> emotional tribute video songs? There's... I mean, I think they all are sung by Sarah McLaughlin. No, because Green Day gets in there all the time. Uh, yeah, right? Time Your Life, I guess. Yeah, 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 but we have a weird association with that one. Not that weird. They just fired me to it. That's fine. But no, like what, like, what other songs are there? I can't, triggered thi- here. I can't think of any uh, other ones. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like, like yeah, they're not doing like, like tub the, thumping by Chumbawamba. Like, no. that doesn't really have the same vibe. Wouldn't right? that be great, though? Yeah, that would that's be what I want my tribute video to be. Bo comes marching out. He's like, this is so uplifting and happy. I, I'm going to be, I'm already upset about. In the Arms of an Angel is another one, but that's it, also Sarah McLaughlin. That's, that's, like, yeah. that's like a tribute. That's yeah. A, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he hasn't died, I guess. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's like, in, this is in memoriam yeah. at the Oscars. Not welcome back to Rogers Arena. <laughs> You're doing more of the dying pet angle. Yeah. I don't think that that's exactly what we wanted to go with here. He's still a fully fledged member. Yeah. The NHL. Um, I'm already. I I don't feel as though that he warrants or deserves any booze, and that's B O O S, not booze. He should probably drink his way through it. But I don't think there should be any booze for Horvat. I just. It doesn't make sense to me. I, I can't. I can't litigate it in my mind to get there to be like because he made one comment yeah. and cut a cheap WWE promo in front of his home fans in New York when he was excited. And all he said was, I'll tell you that for free. It was the most innocuous thing. People, if we go look outside the sporting realm and go to entertainment and see some of the things that are said in an effort to drum up cheap heat. You fans can stick it, brother. I mean, he shouldn't have said that. That was harsh. That crossed a line, I thought. I was surprised by that. Normally so classy. But it's not anything. It was a very innocuous remark that I don't think... People should have responded to the way it was this very guttural, visceral reaction from this fan base, which, again, I'm used to. Yeah. And I have now come to expect, but I just don't think it's right. But the nature nature of that is it will fade with time. Right. Like, like, I'll tell you that for free will become a smaller and smaller part of Bo Horvat's legacy and how he's remembered as time goes by now. It's only what, like six months ago, seven Uh months ago. So it probably still plays a role tomorrow. But. As the years go by, people are not going to remember that. They're going to remember Bo Horvat scoring goals and and winning face-offs for the Canucks. Uh, so we got a big 7 o'clock hour coming up on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. J.P. Acosta, SB Nation NFL writer, is going to join us. Big win for the Denver Broncos last night. Big loss for the Buffalo Bills last night on Monday Night Football. Uh, 7.30, Mark Spector from Edmonton is going to join us as we talk about Connor McDavid. Mick GM is a really funny nickname, by the way. I like it. I'm going to roll with it. I don't know for how long, and I don't think Speck will appreciate it, but Mick GM <laughs> will ask Speck about it coming up at 7.30. So we got a big hour to come. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Halford and Bruff Show featuring Jamie Dodd right here on Sportsnet 650.